Matthew chapter 28, uh, picking up in verse 18. If you're physically able, I would in, uh, encourage you, if you would, to stand as we read the word of God uh, together today. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Seventy-two years ago this month, Jim Elliott wrote in his diary these words. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott, his wife, and several other couples would give their lives to bringing the gospel to a tribe in Ecuador. Seven years after he wrote those words in his journal, as he and some other men were trying to make the very first contact with that Ecuadorian tribe, the tribesmen became afraid and murdered all of those men. What makes that story so amazing to me is his wife, Elizabeth Elliot, remained. And in fact, by God's grace, God gave, uh, gave her the ability to continue the witness and bring many of those people who had murdered her husband to the Lord. In the book Gates of Splendor, where she chronicles these, these events, she writes in the epilogue of that, of that book um, about sitting in the, in the village of the people who had murdered her husband. I want to read these words to you. Writing in November 1958, she writes these words. She says, now nearly three years have passed since, Sunday, since that Sunday afternoon. Today I sit in a tiny leaf-thatched hut on the Tawani River, or Tawanu River, not many miles southwest of what they called Palm Beach. In another leaf house, just about 10 feet away, sit two of the seven men who killed my husband. How did this come to be? Only God who made iron swim, who calls the sun to stand still, in whose hand is the breath of every living thing, only this God, who is our God, forever and ever could have done it. It is an amazing story. Those are powerful words. But you have to ask the question, what, what would compel Jim Elliott and the other missionaries that, that were with him to sacrifice their lives to take the gospel to a remote tribe in Ecuador? What would compel Elizabeth Elliot to remain after her husband had been murdered, many of her friends' husbands had been murdered? What would, what would compel her to remain there? While she could have returned safely to the States and lived out her life in comfort and safety, what would have compelled her to stay right there and to continue to, to make efforts to bring about the gospel to the very people who had murdered her husband and her friends? The answer to that is, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot personally knew the power that salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. They knew that salvation was found only in Jesus. They took seriously the command of Jesus to make disciples of all nations. And so whether that was walking across the street, 
whether that was going around the world or whether that was staying in Ecuador and continuing to bring the gospel witness to those who had, re, who, had, who had caused such harm and brokenness in her family, they were willing to do it because they were compelled to take the gospel to every tribe, to every nation, and to every tongue. This passage that we read this morning is, a, for many of you, probably a very familiar passage. Most Christians, if you've, now maybe if you're brand new to the faith, maybe if You've been walking with the Lord just a few weeks or months. Maybe this is new to you, but if you've been, if you've been in the church, if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, you, most of you know that when you get to Matthew 28 and Jesus says, go make disciples, most of you know this is something that you should do, that you should be sharing the gospel. However, many Christians approach this passage more with inaction and guilt than obedience and enthusiasm. So I want today for us to wrestle with this command, but I also want us today to take hold of the power that God provides for our obedience to this command. And just two things this morning. Number one, that we are to go in obedience. So that may sound simplistic, but usually the simple is the best place to start. And so before we can get to how we go, we must first start with there is an issue of obedience here. We must go in obedience to what Jesus commanded us. And then secondly, we go in purpose and power. And I believe if you connect with the purpose and power of going, that your obedience to going will be much more effective. Let's begin with the issue of obedience, going in obedience. Now, Jesus begins this command in verse 18 with a declaration of authority. So look with me back in your Bibles where he says, Jesus came and said to them, all, not some, not most, but all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. So, so we begin with going in obedience is dependent upon, first and foremost, the authority of God. It's predicated on the authority of God. The authority and the power of Jesus is, was ultimately demonstrated through the, his death and his resurrection. Remember, this command comes immediately following the resurrection of Jesus. The disciples have witnessed this amazing reality. They had been with Jesus for about three years. They had witnessed him going through the trials and the, and the, the legal condemnation, the, the religious condemnation of those around him. They had seen him hang on the cross and die. They had witnessed him being put in the ground and in the grave, and they had witnessed his resurrection. He's been with them for a period of days now as a resurrected Jesus. That was, must have been amazing. And now he's preparing to ascend to heaven, and this is his command before he ascends. And his command here is predicated, it's based on, it's founded on his authority. And his authority was demonstrated through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection. One commentator writes, he says, his resurrection proves his authority over any power that can possibly be imagined. Consequently, we do not fear Satan or anyone else while we are engaged in Jesus's service. The authority of Jesus is the authority to call those whom the Father has given to him. He is the authority. He has the authority to call his sheep unto himself. Now, your obedience, dear friends, is to respond to the authority of Jesus and go. 
Now, here is the most simple understanding of this relationship of the authority of Jesus and our response of obedience. If Jesus is your Lord, if Jesus is your Lord today, then by definition, you are his obedient servants. Salvation requires that you confess that Jesus is your Lord. That's what the Word of God says, that you confess him as Lord. And so when you came to salvation, if you've come to know Jesus, that began with a declaration, with a confession that Jesus is Lord, that he rules your life, that you have submitted your life to the Lordship of Jesus. When a king gives a command... The servants of the king don't then begin to decide whether or not they like the command, whether or not the command works into their schedule, whether or not they think the command's a good idea. No, the relationship between king and servant is when a king commands, the servants obey. Dear friends, Jesus has the authority to command. And all the confessing saints recognize the authority of Jesus over all things. Therefore, friends, I say to you today, obey the king's command and go make disciples. This is a non-negotiable issue. If you are a servant of the king, you must obey the king. In fact, put another way, the testimony of who is Lord of your life is not so much demonstrated by what you say, it is demonstrated by who you obey. If he is king of your life, then you must obey his commands. And I would say to you, friends, that this commandment is not just for some, it is for all who believe. This command was given to those who are disciples of Christ. Now, uh, you cannot be about making disciples unless you first are a disciple. So, so here in this passage, Jesus gathers his disciples. He, he gives this command, and it's a command for all of those who are following him. Go, therefore, and make disciples. But you must be one first. I, I wonder, listen to me carefully here, I wonder if the reason why the churches for, for the last few uh, generations, if the, if the reason why the churches evangelistic efforts have been so anemic has been because we have asked people who were cultural Christians but not truly followers of Jesus to do something they cannot do. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not a disciple of Christ, you can't make disciples of Christ. You can't bring somebody, you can't introduce somebody to, to another person you don't know, and neither can you, if you don't know Jesus, bring a lost person to the Lord. Cultural Christians who are not true disciples of Christ attempting to follow this command begin disconnected from the power and the motivation to do it. You must first reckon with your own relationship with Jesus before you can reckon with this command. This command, friends, is not for professionals, it's not for pastors, it's not for special people, but it is for all those who have followed Jesus and confess him as Lord. It is for all believers. So if in this room today you say, yes, I am a follower of Christ. Yes, I love Jesus and have given my life to him. Then the word to you is, friends, this is a command to you. It's interesting that when you look at the example of Scripture, the example of Scripture of Christians making disciples is not of Christians struggling to obey this command. 
Rather, the testimony or the witness of Scripture is you see the conflict when outside forces attempt to keep Christians from obeying this command. Now, let me push this out just a little bit. Where I think the modern church has struggled is we've been trying to push. You need to obey. You need to obey. But the testimony of Scripture is where there is conflict is not by trying to get the church to obey this command. It's when outside forces tried to keep Christians from obeying this command. In Acts chapter 4, verse 20, uh, disciples were told, stop preaching the gospel. And they say, for we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. In other words, do whatever you got to do, but we are going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus because we can't help it. We've gone through some strange days these last two years, haven't we? And one of the things that I think has, that has been revealed is how quickly we were willing to give up some things that we should not have given up. And dear friends, I want to be very clear to you. We can give up a lot of things here at the church. We can give up our buildings. We can give up a lot of the programs we do. We can give up a lot of things, but we cannot give up preaching the gospel and making disciples. If we give those things up, we are no longer a church. Whatever happens in the political world, in, the, in, the, in just the natural world, we must be about until Jesus comes back preaching the gospel and making disciples. Until all have heard the gospel, we must be obedient to go. Now, there is the simple foundation you must be obedient to go. I mean, that does not take a lot of explanation. If you're a Christian today, you've been commanded to go and make disciples. And in order to be obedient, in order to be faithful to that command, you must go. But where I think the disconnect for many of us is, when we hear that command, our first response is to respond with human effort. Meaning, okay, so what do I need to do? And what more things do I need to change? And, and how, what, how much effort can I make? Does that mean I need to, I need to try harder in this area? Does I, does, I, does I need to push harder in this area? And, and before we get to any of that kind of stuff, I, I think it would be wise for us to get to what actually empowers us to, make, to be about this commandment. And that is that we go in purpose and in power. So I just want to talk about the purpose that we go in and the power we go in. Going in purpose Hear me carefully when I say the gospel and making disciples is not a call to culture. The gospel and making disciples is a call to awaking others to the truth. If we reduce the gospel to accepting a cultural identity, by definition, we deny the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is this, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except by him. In other words, if I reduce the gospel to here, you need to start acting like me and talking like me and dressing like me and behaving like me. I've denied the power of the gospel. It, but rather when I say you need to come and see and behold and know that the truth is that Jesus is the only way to heaven and all those who believe in him shall not, shall not, not perish but have everlasting life, that is a call to be awakened to, to see, to understand, to receive the truth. And that'll set the world on fire, dear friends. Jesus is the full revelation of truth. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is not restricted by time or place. The Bible says that through Jesus all things were created. 
You're not called to make disciples or followers of your culture. No, culture is transformed by Jesus, but the gospel is not limited by or dependent upon our culture. You are called to make disciples of truth, knowing Jesus, knowing salvation. So when Jesus says, go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command. We do these things going in purpose. We go to proclaim the truth. The gospel alone is what saves sinners from eternity in hell and nothing else. We go to convert the lost. Making disciples is more than doing kind and helpful things. Making disciples requires that you make clear the call to take up your cross and follow Jesus. I want to just tell you, friends, as you begin to confront people with the truth, what will happen is the cost of following Jesus will be pretty clear pretty quick. It has been a familiar conversation dynamic with me as I'm sharing the gospel with somebody and they realize what it's going to cost to follow Jesus. You mean I got to give up this? I got to stop that? I got to start this? And the answer to it is yes. You're a disciple of, I'm calling you to a disciple to be a disciple of Jesus, to recognize him as the Lord and the Savior, to follow him. And to follow Jesus means you lay down everything else and you take up the cross and follow him. There's a cost to that. There's a great cost that I think it's eternally worth whatever it costs you this side of heaven. But if the things of this earth are more valuable to you than eternity with Jesus, you will not come to Jesus and you will not be a disciple of Jesus. Proclaim the truth and convert the lost. You cannot be lost and be a follower of Jesus. You cannot be a lover of the world and be a lover of Jesus. Conversion means to change, to be transformed, to leave what was former, to become what is new. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus says not only do we proclaim the truth and convert the lost by making disciples, but we also go to, to teach the commandments of Jesus. Whenever I have the opportunity to share the gospel and by God's grace someone comes to know Jesus, the very next thing I say is, if Jesus is Lord and you're confessing today that you want to follow all of his commandments, then the natural desire of one who wants to follow the commandments of the Lord is first to know what the commandments of the Lord are. And that's not rocket science, is it? I didn't even have to go to seminary to figure that one out. And how do you know what the commandments of Jesus are? Well, first and foremost, the commandments are in his word. And so you begin by reading and being in the word of God. But the gift of God to us to know the word is the work and the ministry of church. Sunday school, worship, being with other believers that are teaching and sharing the word together. You know, there's something that, that misses our, in, our, in our sort of event-driven minds today. There's something that we miss that happens and we don't even know it. There's something spectacular when you come to church and you go to Sunday school and you go to worship and two days later you can't remember if somebody were to ask you what the lesson was on or what the sermon was on. Now you might be tempted to think that was a wasted moment. Oh, dear friends, it wasn't. I don't remember what I had for dinner three weeks ago, but I sure am glad I ate it. Amen? Preach. I don't. And here's something else. 
I don't, I don't necessarily remember all that I ate or had, but, but, but a steady diet of good and healthy things produces a body that is good and healthy. If you're in the Word faithfully, regularly, you don't get healthy by eating one meal. You hear me? You get healthy by eating consistently good meals. And a diet of being in the Bible study with other believers, a diet of being in worship with other believers produces one who knows the Word of God, who knows what the commandments of Jesus are so that you might obey the commandments of Jesus. Oh, dear friends, we are commanded to go make disciples and to teach all that Christ commanded us. Connected to that, we must be submissive to that word that we might be obedient to it. And I think as we do, there'll be a blessing to the world. Obedience always brings blessing. Your obedience to go and make disciples is a blessing to this world. When the lost hear the gospel, it is a blessing to them. It is a blessing to their community. It is a blessing to their family. And your purpose must be about the gospel work. You go in purpose. Why do we do what we do? We go and our purpose is to make disciples, to baptize them. That is the outward show of obedience and following Jesus and to teach what Christ commanded us. That's our purpose. And we go in power. Now, a couple of things about going in power. First, we go in the authority of God. It is the authority of Jesus to, his com to command his sheep to go. That is the church to go out. It is also the authority of Jesus to call those who are his unto himself. That is the lost to come in. When you are faithful to go, you participate in his authority to call the lost in. You, you follow that dynamic? So dear friends, if you're a believer today, you are called to go and make disciples. That's outward focused. But as you go and make disciples, it is his also authority to call those who are his unto himself. You're not the one whose authority is saving people. Jesus is the one who saves. You are obedient to go and make known the gospel of Jesus. We go in the authority of God and we go in the presence of God. Don't miss this precious thing. So Jesus says, go make disciples, baptize and teach. And then he says, in the last word there, and, and, and by the way, and if you grew up in the, with the old King James and low, that's what's running through my brain this morning. English Standard Version says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That phrase there, end of the age, means completion, end, a point of time making the end of a duration. In other words, forever. When you're obedient to God's commands, you do not go alone. You go in the presence of God. Listen to me carefully. When you are obedient, you are in the presence of God. Somebody say amen. When you go in faithfulness, you go in the presence of God. And this doesn't matter if it means that you're going across the hall, across the street, across town, the other side of the nation, or literally around the globe, wherever you go. If you go in obedience 
and you go in faithfulness. You go in the presence of God. Which means when, Elizabeth, when Jim Elliott was on that, what they called Palm Beach, he was in the presence of God. Elizabeth Elliott sitting in that hut was in the presence of God. We go in the, power, the authority of God. We go in the presence of God. And I think we also go in the joy of salvation. Listen to me carefully here. When churches lose sight of this calling, they lose sight of their purpose and their power. And when churches lose sight of their purpose and power, they will lose sight of their joy. You ever been in a grumpy church? I, I take it from that nervous laughter you have. A grumpy church still does church things, don't they? They sing hymns. They look like it's the worst song they've ever heard, but they sing hymns. They have preaching. They're glad when it's over. They have teaching. They do all the things that churches do, but there's, you can recognize it pretty quickly. There's no joy. There's no passion. There's no, you might say energy, though I don't think that's a good word there. There's no, no driving force behind them. And it's because they've lost their joy, and they've lost their joy because they've lost their purpose and their power. What creates joy in the church, listen to me carefully on this one, it's not more money. I'd like to have more money here, but that ain't what's going to make us be a joyful church. What creates more joy in the church is not more things. Oh, there was a day when it was, it was, the, it was the definition of church growth or church health if you could build something bigger and better. More things don't make for a joyful church. Being influential in the community. There was a day when the church had significant influence, particularly where we live, in the community. That didn't make us joyful then and doesn't make us joyful now. What creates joy in the church, listen to me carefully. This is true of every church that knows the Lord. What creates joy in the church is when sinners get saved. Do you hear me? That's above everything else. A good sermon, you'll forget about it. A tremendous choir anthem, you'll forget about it. A great meal, you'll forget about it. But what lights a church up is when sinners get saved. In witnessing a sinner set free from sin and death, the church is reminded again and again and again of the eternal power of God not only to transform our lives presently, but to transform our lives eternally. So here's my assessment. Just not necessarily just of us, but of the church in general. My assessment is, my sense is that many today in the church are tired. Are you tired? Here's where I see it coming out. The, the, the logistical functions that just have to happen in church, it's hard to find folks to do that because you're tired. Either you've been doing it a long time, you don't want to do it anymore, or you've got other things in your life that are pressing and, and, and require a lot of time, effort, and you say, I, just, I, I can't add another thing to my plate. You're tired. I hear it in your voice. I see it in your faces. I witness it in your attendance and your willingness to actively serve. You're tired. 
Many in the church are experiencing fatigue, but here's the kicker. I don't think our fatigue is coming from overwork. Do you hear me? Many in the church are tired. Many in the church are experiencing fatigue, but I don't think our fatigue is from overwork. So there are two causes to fatigue. The first comes from labor. So if you work, if yesterday you worked all day long in your yard and you did some heavy labor, at the end of the day, maybe your back hurt. The other day, Dana and I did some work, and when we got done, she said, even my fingers are sore. That, that's fatigue, right? So at the end of the day, you're exhausted, you're tired. When the sun goes down, you're glad to put up the tools and the equipment and to, to come inside and sit down and eat a meal. You are physically tired, but, but when you're physically tired from being about a purpose and being about a task that is good and beneficial, there's something interesting about that fatigue. You are physically tired, but you're emotionally and mentally jazzed up. You like to walk out and look at what you did. You like to invite others and say, let me see what, what was able to be accomplished. And you're ready for the next task. Maybe after a night's sleep, maybe after a meal, but you're ready. Let's, let's do what's next because I, I see what has been good that has come out of this labor. I see what is positive about this work and I'm ready for the next thing. There's a second time kind of fatigue. Listen to me carefully. There is a fatigue that comes from doing nothing. Now, it happens in my house sometimes when folks lay on the couch all day long. Mm -hmm. Watch TV all day long. And then it, it gets about late evening, supper time, heart rate hadn't been up all day long. The only movement maybe has been to the pantry to get a snack and come back to the couch. The only real emotional distress has been what to watch, maybe conflict with somebody else on another couch or what to watch. It's late evening, it's supper time, and those who've been on the couch all day long will say, I am so tired. Now, if you've been working, there's a little aggravation with that, by the way. What do you mean you're tired? You ain't done anything all day long. But they're not lying. They are exhausted. In fact, the truth of it is, they're more exhausted than those who've been working all day. Not from overwork, not from exerting themselves physically, they're tired from doing nothing. The reason why Doing nothing steals your energy it's because doing nothing is purposeless. Doing nothing has no value. At the end of the day, watching TV and laying on the couch, you have nothing to show for your day, and that will rob you of energy, drive, and excitement. Friends, listen to me carefully. I think the church today is plagued by sitting on the couch. We are rested up. We're well entertained. But we are exhausted. 
think we're tired from being disconnected from our purpose and our calling. Just think with me around the church for a minute. Right now, those precious people that are back in our nursery keeping kids. If you're just keeping kids to keep kids, that will wear you out. I see it on my dad, mom and dad's faces when we had little children. We picked them up. They were so glad to see us come and really glad when we left. It's exhausting work. We've had some precious kids back there that screamed the entire time they were in the nursery. They're a little older now. They don't scream as much now, but um, precious. Now, listen to me. If you're back there just to keep kids, that's exhausting work. But if you're back there because you see a gospel purpose to that, mom and dad can come in here and hear the gospel preached, that'll energize you. Keep those kids, protect those kids, take care of those kids, teach those kids, and look forward to next week when you get to do it again. If you've got some responsibilities for building maintenance and cleaning and that kind of stuff, if you're just fixing up stuff and cleaning up stuff, who wants to do that? You can do that at the house. You got your own things to do. But if you, if you connect that to, I'm, I am taking care of a tool, an instrument that we can use right here in our community as a home base and as a launching spot for the gospel to be proclaimed. So that when guests and church people alike come into this place, they have a welcoming, safe, and healthy, and structurally sound place to come and hear the gospel preached. That'll light you up. And that'll energize you not only to be about your task now, but to look for something else. Whatever it is that you're doing, if it's handing out bulletins, if it's singing in the choir, whatever it is that you're doing, if it's preparing a meal or serving a meal, it can be exhausting if you lose sight of your purpose and your power. And a lot of you are still doing things, but you're exhausted in doing them. And I'm telling you today, friends, you need to connect with the purpose and the power. The purpose is that we might preach the gospel and see the lost saved. And the power is the living God who calls us to go out and calls the lost to come in. Somebody say amen. That's what we're about. And if you'll be about that, I promise you, whatever task you're doing may make you tired, but as soon as you get a little rest, you're ready to do it again. Give me more that I might be obedient to the com command to make disciples. The closer you connect to your task and with your purpose, the closer you connect your task with your purpose, the more energy for the task you will have. And the further you isolate from uh, your task from your purpose, the greater the, 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 um, the fatigue you will experience. Oh, dear friends, let us be about the command and the purpose, the command to, to be about the, the command of making disciples for Jesus. And let us not walk far from the power of Jesus. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmith sr.org I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 10:30 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening, and until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the kingdom.